The gospel is the truth that through faith in Jesus we're forgiven and made right with God is the most relevant thing there is and that we can share. But we're sharing it in a different culture, a different context. What about extremism? Maybe you don't consider yourself a religious extremist. Most of us, I think, wouldn't. Three quarters, 75% of all Americans, and nine out of 10 Americans with no faith affiliation believe that being religiously extreme is a threat to society. And, and, and so 75% of all Americans, that means some of us in this room, believe that being religiously extreme is a threat to society. And you might say, yeah, yeah, I agree. There's some religious extremism out there that seems like it's hurting and not helping, that seems like it's more of a hindrance than a help. But the question is, what does it mean to be religiously extreme? What does it mean if if we're going to say religious extremism, we think we're all talking the same language sometimes. Most of us think, well, you know, somebody straps a bomb to themselves and goes and blows, tries to blow up people in the name of religion. That is extremism, and we are against that, and, that is, and that's wrong, and we don't want to see that happen. And, that, and, and so I'm not a religious extremist. Well, here's some of the statistics they find of people that, religious activities that people consider extreme. Attempting to convert others to their faith. We would call this evangelism. of all U.S. adults thinks that is in a religiously extreme activity. 83% of people with no affiliation, so a subset of U.S. adults, 83% of those with no faith affiliation think when you attempt to convert others to your faith, you are religiously extreme. You are, that's that's an extreme thing. I also put in there their, their percentage of practicing Christians just because this, uh, this amazes me sometimes how much the world's thinking or the outside thinking will seep into the church because 29% of practicing Christians think that's extreme too. Believe that sexual relationships between people of the same sex are morally wrong. 52% of U.S. adults say that's an extreme view. 75% of unaffiliated U.S. adults would say that's a religiously extreme view if you hold it, and so would 25% of practicing Christians consider that religiously extreme view? It's the context we're ministering in. Protest government policies that conflict with religion? You want to go and voice your opinion on the bathroom bill and, and say that, hey, you know, I don't think it's right that, you know, you can have men going into restrooms with little girls or, or voice your opinion on uh, religious freedoms or voice your opinion on abortion, government policies, of U.S. adults say that's a religiously extreme activity. 60% of unaffiliated, 33% of practicing Christians. Not doing anything illegal, not doing anything not within your government rights, not doing anything that any citizen couldn't do, but many people will see that as religiously extreme. Look at these next set of figures. Get that next slide. Should be two there, I think, right? Yeah, there we go. Quit a good-paying job to pursue mission work in another country. 
Uh, we support a couple of the Stukies, Chris and Cindy Stukey. Uh, Chris was a, a practicing chiropractor on the North Shore here, had his own practice, uh, had a good business. They had a nice home. They quit that, left it all, sold the practice to go to a country in Africa that had no representation of the gospel to bring the gospel there. 42% of U.S. adults say, Chris and Cindy, you are religiously extreme. Don and Carol Butera, you are religiously extreme. People that would quit their jobs here and go someplace else to do mission work, 47% of unaffiliated say that's religiously extreme. And for some reason, 25% of practicing Christians also think that's religiously extreme. Wait until marriage to have sex 30, 40, 50 years ago? Be the norm. Today, 25%. Uh, 24% of U.S. adults say that is an extreme view. 34% of unaffiliated say it is, and 11% of practicing Christians. Here's one. You may not, if you don't think you're extreme yet, <laughs> if you just put money in the offering to give to God, regularly donate money to their religious community, tithing, 18% of U.S. adults think that is an extreme activity. That is religiously extreme. For you to tithe, give 10% of your income to your local church, you are a religious extremist. 27% of unaffiliated people feel that way, and for some reason, 12% of practicing Christians also feel that way. (laughs) This one probably blew my mind more than any other. Read the Bible silently. Silent, not getting up on the tee and reading out loud silently in a public place. Now, it's a small percentage, but the fact that it's 11% of U.S. adults would say, if you want to read the Bible silently in a public place, you are a religious extremist. 13% of unaffiliated would say that, and for some reason, 11% of practicing Christians would say that as well. I'm not telling you anything you already don't feel. Because you do feel it. I mean, you go and you ride the bus and you don't think twice maybe about opening up the latest hardcover book. But if you open up this book with gold leaf or silver leaf pages and sit there with the Holy Bible, you may be fine with it, but you know that people around you are probably thinking or questioning or wondering what you're doing. Maybe you sit there and you wonder, do they think, you know, I'm going to do something? Do they think I'm a terrorist because I'm reading a holy book in a public place? Religiously extreme sometimes. There are 10, there's 11% of the population that says you're reading your Bible in a public place. It's religiously extreme. You already feel these things. You probably didn't know that you were so extreme. Reading the Bible, waiting for marriage till sex, giving to your church, telling your friends about Jesus, religious extremists. These views are not only increasingly prevalent in the wider culture, but they're increasingly seeping into the thinking of people in the church. That's why I put the practicing Christians ones up there. But here's the reality. 51% believe does not make something true. 51% of people believing something does not make it a truth. But oftentimes, in our world, that's what's put forth as truth. 
Statistic comes out and 51%, 52%, you know, it's over half believe it, so it must be true. But the truth is just because 51% of people believe something does not make it true. Throughout history, Jesus' followers have often found themselves in the minority. Jesus himself was a part of a minority group as a Jewish man living in first century Rome. The last 200 years of American history and Christianity in America have been quite remarkable and exceptional in the history of the world. The growth of the church, the peace of Christians have enjoyed, the number of missionaries sent out to export the gospel have been nearly unprecedented and unequaled in Christian history. But we, of course, would like that to continue as long as it can. However, we don't follow Jesus because it's popular and easy. We follow Jesus because he's our Lord and Savior and worthy of our lives. So even though we may seem a bit out of sync with the larger culture, it does not make our beliefs any less true. I think that's important to remember. The world around us has changed. Just listen to this statement made by a past American president. This is a statement by an American president. Quote, Easter demonstrates that good conquered evil. Hope overcame despair and triumphed over death. God's only son brought the assurance of God's love and presence in our lives and the promise of salvation. Jesus is the true light that illumines all mankind. Can you imagine a United States president making that statement today? That is a statement of a past American president Anyone want to guess who? Long, long ago, way back in a bygone era of about 20 years ago, Bill Clinton made that statement. Not exactly the stalwart for, you, uh, for Christianity either. But can you even imagine a U.S. president or even one of the candidates making a statement like that today? Our world has changed quickly, quickly in the last 20 years. So this is part of the context of our ministry. It does not mean that we withdraw, we run, or we walk away in fear. Christians are called to be salt and light in the midst of our culture. We're called to engage for God's glory and the good of the people and our world. We're called to love as Jesus loved, a world who had rejected him and his message. And for that, let's look at the next C in our vision from context to content. Let's look at content very briefly. In many ways, the content, and we're only going to look at this a short time, and that's because in many ways, the content of any church vision is going to look the same as many churches' visions throughout history. Jesus had a mission when he came to seek and to save the lost. And then, John, could you flip to that scripture? And then the next one after that, seeking to save the lost, he also says he gave us the great commission to make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. And then he also said, the great commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. All these things have been given to the church for all time to live out throughout history, and all the time they have not changed. Our wording changes a little. The way we frame them and phrase them changes a little. But the content of our vision throughout history often stays 
the same. So at Mount Hope, we might say it this way, for the glory of God and in obedience to him, our mission is to lead people into a living relationship with Jesus Christ. Our mission is to lead people into a living relationship with Jesus Christ. And this past year, we've kind of started using three words as a way to kind of help us understand and see this mission lived out. The three words are learn, love, and live. Learn, love, and live. We did a series in January that I used those three words, and we built three messages around those. I... um. In January wasn't the first time we've thought about them. I and our staff have kind of been living with these three words for the last year. I've talked about them with our deacons and our elders, and, and I've kind of said, you know, I think these three words capture what we are to be doing. Learn, love, and live before the world around us. They're not sanctified or holy words in particular. They're just a memorable way, kind of a hook to, in a grid for us to look at what we do. We want to learn, and we want people to learn. We believe that people need to learn about Jesus if they're going to put their faith in him. This may be oversimplifying it, but if I want to put my faith in Jesus, I need to learn who Jesus is, what he was about, what his message is. If I'm going to follow Jesus and continue to follow Jesus, I need to learn what he said. I need to learn about his word for my life. It's primary. Love, we believe that our greatest love is reserved for God, and out of that flows a lavish love for people. Learning about Jesus is best received when it is accompanied by genuine, lavish, tangible love for the individual and the person. Love for one another in this room, loving each other as Christians, but then also love for the other, the neighbor, the one who's outside, the one who's not a part of your church, but the one that Jesus would say to love your neighbor as yourself and that person right in front of you that you have an opportunity to demonstrate God's love for. The old cliche is true. People don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. So love needs to be a part of that. Our ministry context sees little value in words without action and cold doctrine without compassion. And so we have to love. Live. We believe that faith in Christ results in an everyday life lived out before him and before our culture. Ultimately, our learning and our loving must result in a life lived well before God. A life lived out loud for the Lord before the world. A faith that is lived out in the laboratory, the classroom, the home, the garage, the ball game, the back porch, the front porch, wherever you might find yourself, the love and must be lived out. So you'll see these three words in other places. This picture is of uh, our entrance in Belmont. This past week, we had a chalkboard artist come in and do the entrance in Belmont uh, over with these three words. Uh, and she, she did a great job, I think, putting that. So as soon as you walk in that front door at Belmont, you see these words uh, starting this morning. Welcome to Mount Hope Belmont. Learn, love, live with our logo right there and the understanding that that's what we're about. You'll see it if you go to our new website, which just went live yesterday and has those three words prominently displayed on it. Welcome to Mount Hope Christian Center. Learn, love, live. And uh, I I encourage you to look at our new website. Not now. Don't go there now. Uh, 
But I'm pleased to let you know it is mobile-friendly now. That took a while to get there, but there's a mobile-friendly you know, part of our website. It looks uh, much more, it's much more user-friendly, uh, and uh, that went live yesterday. There's still probably some kinks that need to be worked out, but right across the front of our webpage, you'll see we're here to learn, love, and live as we lead people into a living relationship with Jesus Christ It's a part of who we are and what we do. You'll start to see these in more places. One way you can use these words, uh, kind of as a grid, I've been using them at the end of every day. If you journal, like I do, if you journal, maybe at the end of every day, you use these three words as a grid. What did you learn today? Whom did you love today? How did you live today? It's simple three words and putting them through this grid. I've actually been, it's so simple, I've actually been using them with my kids at night before you put them to sleep, before I put them to bed. What did you learn today? Whom did you love today? And I expand that question a little. Who showed love to you? And where did you see God's love? And how did you live today? Did you live today with integrity? Did you live today in in light of God's word and in light of God's plan for your life and the way you want to live? Do you want to live differently tomorrow? How do you want to live differently tomorrow? Just a quick grid. I hope that every time you leave a church service or any gathering or every meeting at Mount Hope, you can answer these three questions. What did I learn in that gathering together? What did I learn in that Sunday morning service? Whom did I love? I was at that building for an hour and a half or two hours. You had opportunity to show love to somebody. Whom did I love in the body of Christ today? How did I live? Did I live in accordance with the way that God has called me to live? And it's just a good grid to, add, to, to run our lives and to run our, um, our, our service and our ministry through. And so I encourage you using those three questions. So the content of our vision, leading people into a living relationship with Jesus Christ through this process of learning, loving, and living. Uh, Loving, learning about who Jesus is, learning more what it is to follow him, loving God and loving each other and others, and living a life before the world around us consistent with who Jesus is and who he calls us to be. Final C is concentration. Concentration from the context to the content, not the final C, the third C, concentration from the context to the content to concentration. This is our particular vision in our particular place. What does it look like? The concentration of a vision, a good image, is kind of like the uh, driver of the subway car in Boston or the driver of the commuter rail train. The idea is this. Uh, you leave maybe Alewife in the morning heading into the city, and on the way, you're going to pick up people at all different spots. Train's going to stop at, you know, Harvard. Train's going to stop at, uh, you know, uh, MGH, Kendall, MIT. going to stop at all these spots on the way in. And on your way in, you're going to pick up different people, but you're heading to the same destination. And that's a little bit like the ministry of a church, that we are heading towards this destination of leading people into a living relationship with Jesus Christ. But along the way, we stop and pick up people at different destinations. So last week, Eddie and the prison ministry are in the prison, and they're ministering the gospel of Jesus Christ there. And 
picking up people, that destination, bringing them on the train, leading them into a loving relationship with Jesus Christ. We had our kids' ministry, picking up people at different destinations, getting them on the train, leading them into a living relationship with Jesus Christ. Our people-to-people ministry, serving a meal at the Salvation Army in Lowell, picking up people on different parts of the train. We have a campus in Belmont, a campus in Burlington, different stops in all in an effort to pick up people at different stages of life and lead them into a living relationship with Jesus Christ. In Burlington, one of the big things we have here that is unavoidable is a school. And some of you just come here on a Sunday and you think, why does this look such like a school building? Believe it or not, we get people who come here during the week who say, why does this look such like a church building when they come here for school? And the reason is because the school is one of our stops. One of the ways we try and stop, pick up people to get them into a living relationship with Jesus Christ. It's the way we serve and love our community. We educate them. We give them a great education. We set them up for their next step in life. And we tell them about Jesus. We live in a world that it's hard sometimes for parents to uh, take uh, an effort in their kids' spiritual formation. What if you can have a ministry that you had parents bringing their kids to you five days a week for more than half the year for six hours a day for you to teach them and tell them about Jesus? And not only that, they paid you to do it. There's churches that would kill for a ministry like that. And you say, well, that could never happen. And it happens every day to over 300 students here at Mount Hope. Where they come in and we teach them about Jesus. And so, yes, when you go into your classroom on a Sunday morning or on a Wednesday night, it looks sometimes like a kid's classroom. And uh, sometimes, you know, we make sacrifices on both sides. Why? Because it's a stop where we're picking people up in order to lead them to a living relationship with Jesus Christ, in order to tell kids about Jesus who don't know him, families that don't own a Bible, tell them about Jesus. And we'll do that for hundreds of kids every year, and that's one of the things that we will do. Groups, we'll start our groups back up in the fall. Some of you have been asking about community groups. That's another way we do that. We try and pick people up. That's another way we really try and love each other. That's kind of fallen off a little bit in the last year as we started our new campus, but we're going to get that up in the next, in the fall. You'll see that relaunch, and we'll get all our group's ministry back up and running. There's other things we'll do. Our global outreach we do to get our gospel out around the world. I'm so excited about October, the first two Sundays of October. Don't go on vacation those weeks. Be there. Be here those weeks because we got two speakers that are coming in the first two Sundays of October that are going to knock it out of the park when it comes to challenging us for global outreach. And the theme of our global outreach this fall is any place at any price. And you're going to want to hear their stories because that's one of the things that we do. In order to reach people we don't talk to every week, but they're around the world and they need Jesus. So we'll partner with people who will do that. Other things in Belmont. Wednesday nights this summer, Pastor Brian's going to be at the uh, Waverly Square uh, bus stop at 5 o'clock or at the end of every workday. And he's going to be uh, on Wednesdays, not the end of every workday. I just committed Pastor Brian to something he didn't commit to. <laughs> Wednesday afternoons, he's going to be out there with bottles of water and granola bars because there's hundreds of commuters that get dropped off right outside the doorstep of that church in Belmont every afternoon. 
And so he's just going to hand out water bottles, hand out granola bars, you know, let them know that Mount Hope is there. Uh, let them know that our church is right there where they get off this tea stop every day. Uh, we, another idea in Belmont we came up with, there's a, uh, the people in Belmont came up with, and I think it's a great idea. There's a dog walking park right next to our, not far from our church in Belmont, where everybody in Belmont takes their dogs uh, out on walks. And, and we said, well, so they came up with this idea, what if we put on the best doggy buffet Belmont has ever seen? <laughs> I don't even know what that looks like. I don't know if you got to have like gluten-free doggy food and you got to have like vegan doggy food, but we'll have, you know, whatever, Mount Hope dog bowls. That will be the first time we've ever put our logo on a dog bowl, I think. But we will, you know, we'll, we'll put that out. And we'll say, hey, you know, the dog walkers, you know, we'll be there. We're part of the community. This is what you care about. We're going to care about you. And just look for places to get on. Another on-ramp. Another place to get on as we encounter people and lead people to Jesus. In Burlington, one of the great resources, we have all these great resources. One of them is our Family Life Center that opened up a couple years ago. All kinds of great things that happen within that Family Life Center. Uh, We're still, you know, looking for ways to build the bridge from that building to this room, but ultimately from that building to Jesus Christ. Uh, one thing that happened this past May is our Women's Refresh Tea, ninth Annual Women's Refresh Tea. You guys can play that video. Just cut the audio behind me just so we can see the, see the video playing. I mean, you'll see this happened uh, this uh, last May uh, where in our Family Life Center for the ninth year, uh, they had a ladies' tea, ladies' refresh tea. 280 women gathered in that room and laughed and uh, shared some joy and loved each other and heard a great speaker, but heard about a God who loves them and heard about Jesus. And, and we get to see that room and that resource used for God's glory. And the Harvard callbacks were there and uh, got to hear some great music just to bring joy to the day as well, and they heard a wonderful message of God's love for them. And this is a great resource we have that we want to see continually used for other things. In fact, in any given week, we have more people that don't know Jesus, don't attend church, they'd be in that unaffiliated group. We have more people that come in either to our Family Life Center to use it to play basketball or soccer or volleyball or something else, or come to our school in any given week than many churches would have come through their building in a year of people that don't know Jesus. They're already coming to the campus. They're already coming to the building. They're already coming here for something, and our challenge is to pray and think and and ask God, how do we build the bridge with people that don't know you from there to Jesus. And so I ask you to continue to pray about that. Ask us how we're supposed to do that and how God would want us to do that. So there's all kinds of things we're doing. There's other things that God is birthing in your heart. You have an individual vision in your life. Maybe you've got a train stop in your heart. Maybe you've got a stop. You've got a group of people you're connected with. You've got some people in your life that you've got a vision for that needs to be a stop that we're a part of here at Mount Hope, a part of your vision that God's put in your heart, becoming a reality so that people can come to know Jesus. What are we doing it for? I want to show you one more video of a story of a person of Mount Hope 
story of a changed life, a testimony of what happened in someone's life. Watch Ron's story. Hi, my name is Ron Raymond, and I am going to share my story with you guys today. Um, so I was struck with addiction at a pretty young age. Uh, alcohol, drugs, didn't really matter what it was. If it was there, I wanted it. Uh, fairly typical story. Uh, I know I'm not the only person that ever went through it, for sure. So, uh, you know, that went on through my uh, teens and early 20s. Uh, Obviously never got any better. Just seemed to get worse. September 19th, 2011, uh, my son was born. Uh, when he was born, he was uh, also addicted. So for the first two weeks of his life, he was in the hospital uh, receiving treatment for addiction to opiates. That was a hard time, a very hard time in my life. At the time, I wasn't, I mean, what did I even know? You know, I was young. I thought, you know, we'll get through it and keep it moving. They let us take him home, you know, two weeks in the hospital, got him through everything he was going through, let us take him home. And uh, I was able to clean my act out for a little while, um, enough to where I was able to take care of him. Uh, to a point, I guess. You know, I thought I was doing, thought I was doing a really good job, but really, I was, I was always on the edge where any moment I could fall off. I was able to keep myself together long enough to get custody of my son. Um, after a fairly long battle, um, you know, through the court system and everything else, so it was, it was a hard time. Uh, through that, I started drinking again. Um, when I was finally given custody of him, it was like, uh, you know, I, I, you know, I had him, I had custody of him, this is what I wanted, but where was I going now, you know? Uh, stress, I don't know, uh, the realization that now I have to raise this kid came over me, and it was, it was a lot to deal with, and, uh, you know, fell right back off the edge, uh, started drinking heavy again, started using drugs, Thought I had, you know, thought I had it in control to a point, but I didn't. It was just, I mean, I was fighting a losing battle at the time. I was able to pull myself together and get clean. Even with that, getting off the drugs and the booze and everything, uh, I still didn't feel whole. I felt like something was certainly missing inside of me. Uh, what it was, I really didn't know, but I knew something was missing. And I just didn't know where to find it. I didn't know what to do. Uh, finally, my sister had started talking about a church she had been going to, which was Mount Hope here in Burlington. And uh, she started talking about it, and I just, I felt like, that's it. I need to be there. You know, things continued to get better as I kept coming to church. I was hearing things that, you know, I was hearing the words that I needed to hear. You know, I had been, I had been, carrying this shame and guilt on my shoulders for so long that I just I couldn't break it was weighing me down you know I just no matter what I did I just I had this shame I was I was ne it was never good enough 
It was never enough. You know, no matter what I did, it just wasn't enough. And, uh, you know, coming to, coming to the church and hearing the word of God and Jesus Christ dying for our sins, and they say it in all the songs, and, and like every time I hear it, you know, it just means so much to me. But, you know, they say, you know, I, I'm carrying this burden on my shoulders, and it was like, it was killing me. It was just weighing me down. And finally, I just, I gave in. And I, I just gave in. I gave it all to God. And it was like, Jesus Christ himself just took this weight off my shoulders. And he carries it like it is his own. You know? He just took it from me. <laughs> and, uh, I mean, I just, the, the freedom and the relief I have felt since coming to God and coming to this church is like nothing I have ever felt before. Um, from that point on, <laughs> it's been like, it's all good, <laughs> you know? I mean, me and Vanessa are the first couple to be married at Belmont Church. We've been blessed with another child. We have a beautiful baby girl, you know, that we're raising. We have Cameron, who is perfectly healthy. It's all due to God. It is all his work. You know, everything I was feeling, everything that was holding me down, it's it's gone. It's not here anymore. I'm able to sit in this room today and say for the first time in my life that I am truly free. It's a good feeling. It's a really good feeling. Context, content, concentration, that's what we're doing it all for. Changed lives. See lives changed. Ron, Vanessa, they're over at our Belmont campus, um, worshiping every week, loving the Lord uh, with a changed life of what God has done in their life. And um, that's what our vision is. That's what we want. We want to see more lives changed just like that for God's glory and for his honor. You heard Ron share his story. That's the context, right? You heard the context where it started. And then God steps in and he changes things. And that's what happens. If we go back to those scriptures in Genesis chapter one, God created, you know, uh, there was tohu vavohu, there was formless and void, and then God said, If we go back to the feeding of the 5,000 scripture in Matthew chapter 14, you know, it was a desolate place. It was late at night. They didn't have any food. But then the very next verses of this passage say this. Jesus said to his disciples, next verse, you got it there? I hope I have it there. And he said, bring them here to me. Then he ordered the crowds to sit down on the grass and take in the five loaves and two fish. He looked up to heaven and said a blessing. Then he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples. The disciples gave them to the crowds, and they all ate and were satisfied. They took up 12 baskets full of broken pieces, and those who ate were about 5,000 men besides women and children. This is what happens when we give what we have to Jesus. Our prayer is that he multiplies it. 
that he does more with what we could give him than what we could do with one on our own. And so, you know, that's what happens. Jesus steps in. We look around and we look at reality and we say, people are blind. People are hurting. People are addicted to drugs. In fact, that's a very real one in our communities. I've asked our Burlington School Superintendent, what's one of the greatest concerns you have for the Burlington schools? And one of the top two in his mind is this opiates and these drug problems that are coming up. And what's the answer? No one has the ultimate answer, but Jesus changes things. Steps in, changes a life like Ron's. Changes things. And so that's what we're here for. So commitment... Let me do the final C, and we'll wrap up with this as we close. Because it takes commitment. What it takes is people who will understand. They'll love God, and they'll love Ron. And so for you, too, you know, it takes, there's people in your life. You love God, and you have people like Ron in your life who you love. And you need to bring the love of God to this person. That's how people come to Jesus. And so you go, the real ministry, I hope you understand, and I hope I haven't misled you, does not take place in this room on Sunday morning from 10 o'clock to 11.30. The real ministry, the real vision of this church is lived out as soon as you leave this room and wherever you go for the rest of your week. Because you love God and you love the people that you encounter throughout your week. And you make those connections in order to love them and bring glory to God. So commitment, we're committed to see more people come to know Jesus and come to be changed by him. We'll do this together. The way we do it is uh, through a number of us working together. You know, God's doing it. This past year, one of the biggest parts of our vision we saw come about was a new campus launched in September. Last year, on this date, the second Sunday in June, the attendance at 51 Lexington Street in Belmont was exactly zero. Today, I didn't get the number for this morning, but if it's anything like the last few weeks, it's right around 100 people that are in that church worshiping the Lord this morning. Amen. At the most, on any given Sunday, 40 or 50 of those were with us here in Burlington. That means 40, 50, or 60 have started attending since that campus opened in September that weren't attending church anywhere else, most of them. Maybe a couple of them were, but most of them, we know their stories. They weren't attending anywhere else. They were waiting for a church in their neighborhood to open up that they could go to and they could worship at. And so that's one of the biggest parts of the vision that's come about in this past year. And how did it come about? It came about because people worked together to see the vision come about People who were not worshiping in a regular church came to find a church home. People with a heart to see other people have a chance to know Jesus took a step and they said, I'll drive further. I'll go, I'll I'll worship in Belmont. I'll be a part of that plant to see this happen. So they went. It happened with people to see other people have a chance to know Jesus, uh, refurbish a building and work with that. People who are here in Burlington that you're sitting here this morning, you didn't go to Belmont, but you gave to see that building Redone. Some of you went, looking at George here, shoveled coal out of a basement because there was coal in this basement when they used to heat this building with coal in order to see this building restored into a place 
where people from Belmont can walk in and say, we've prepared a place for you to come and worship. Came about because people gave. In the last, uh, somehow, in the time of that building being offered to us and it opening last September, about $700,000 of work was done to refurbish that building. I, I would guess north of that, but I'll say 700000 to be conservative. Of that, there's only $111,000 mortgage that's left on the building that we took out. All of that other money, labor, came from people sitting here and other people who caught the vision. Recently, I had a pastor come to me. Uh, they're looking for a building and they're doing a building project. They said, so how did you guys do Belmont? Tell us, you know, what did you do? How did you raise money? How did you, how did you do this? And Pastor Brian and I kind of looked at each other and fumbled around for a little bit. And we we're kind of like, uh, how did we do that? Uh, we had a banquet, um, you know, that we, we didn't even have anything that, that people mostly were not from the church invited to. Um, and that, God brought in $50,000 from there, and, and then people gave, and people showed up, and people worked. We didn't really have a plan. We didn't, you know, we couldn't really tell them. It's just God did it. And then when we got in trouble for money, we, you know, we weren't sure how it was going to get finished. We needed a new heating system. We had a church business meeting in the middle of July when everyone is on vacation, in this room after, after church on a Sunday afternoon that only had about 10 days notice and we showed up and we said, you know, we got to finish this building and we're, the bank's not coming through with the money. We, we don't like the terms that are being offered and we don't know what to do, but we just wanted you to know about it. And then within 20 minutes, $60,005 came in from people just sitting in that room that said, we're going to finish this and see this vision become a reality. And the vision got done. And I don't know how it's done. I just know God does it. And I just know that that's how vision becomes a reality. So at Mount Hope, um, you know, one of the things is commitment. So it's, it's the biggest commitment you're going to make is to being a part of this vision, praying, living your life in line with Jesus Christ, committing to learning and committing to teaching and committing to loving other people. That's the biggest part. As far as giving, yeah, that's a part of it too. That commitment is a part of it too. And this church has been so generous in making that happen. So every June as we share our vision, we share what's been going on. We also share where we are, how you can be a part of that commitment to it if you consider doing that. And so in your chair in front of you, there should be a commitment card there um, that looks a little like this. Um, And honestly, I want to be honest with you. This is not the primary focus of this message. This is a reality of the world that we live in. We want to see more people come to know Jesus. So one of the steps we're taking as a church, and our board has said, and our leaders have said, and I believe our members, when we've gotten together in meetings, have agreed, we don't want this debt hanging around. We want things paid off. We want to move on to what God has next. And so for this next 12 months, between now and next June, when I'm standing up here again and sharing the vision and sharing about what God has done and sharing stories, uh, we have a goal to pay off a lot of big chunk of that debt. Um, and so our goal on these cards, there's two goals on there. We want to pay uh, towards the Belmont building. We got, like I said, about $111,000 on that mortgage. We want to get rid of it. We'd like that building to be completely debt-free. And I don't know how God's going to do it. I just know God can do it. 
um, brought in 700,000, 600,000 clear of labor and materials and work that that was done with. Our Family Life Center, we've got a little, uh, uh, I don't know the exact number at the moment, a little south of $800,000, 700,000 and something left on that building. It was a $2 million project that finished in 2013. We've got less than $800,000 in debt left on it. We want to pay that down. Now, if God wants to do that this year, he can do that. But the goal, here's the goal that we've set. We built something into our terms with the bank that whenever we make a $100,000 principal payment that they will consider, and we've got no reason that they wouldn't do this, but they don't have to do it, but I think they will, that they will reamortize the loan for us at that new amount, lowering our monthly payments, lowering the money we're paying every month to interest, and being able to put more money into our operating funds. So we've got $65,000 already that you've been giving to that Family Life Center Fund. Another 35000 and we make a $100,000 principal payment. And we write a check for $100,000, drop that loan down, and re-amortize the loan, make, put more money into our principal. And we want to just keep doing that. We want to we get rid of it and then move on to say, God, what do you have next? And so, you know, you didn't know this coming in that I was going to ask you to do this. Maybe you're ready to give. Maybe you're not. But I just ask you to consider it. Uh, and uh, we'll have an opportunity at the end if you want to come and you're able to now complete this card and say, hey, I'm going to give and support that. And this is what I'll give either now or one time or over the next 12 months then that would be wonderful. But if not, take this home if you'd prayerfully consider what God would do through you to continue the mission and vision happening at Mount Hope in other ways. Because we want to take every opportunity that God brings along. And to be honest with you, there are times when you've got a debt sitting around that an opportunity comes along and you say, "Mm, but we got this thing over here that we want to take care of first. So we don't want that thing hanging around. We don't want that thing, you know, you know, if you're a Dave Ramsey fan, you know, we're not going to keep that around like a pet, you know. We don't want to keep our loans around like a pet that just stays around the house. We want to get rid of them so that we can move on to what God has next and continue that. So if you're a regular attendee at Mount Hope, this is your church. I'm just sharing where we, where we are and where we'd like to go. And we'd love you to be a part of that. We'd love to see another, you know, what God can do. I'll, I'll let you know when that 35000 comes in, I'll do just what I did last time. I'll stand up here. I'll put that check right on the screen that's going out to the bank, and we'll knock that principal down and get that loan. Uh, you know, we'll get that taken care of, and uh, we'll get that Belmont building paid for too. That's a small thing. God has done an amazing thing. I think he's got even more amazing things coming down the road. Um, so as our worship team comes, we're going to close out our service and worship, but we'll also have, I think there's a basket somewhere. If you um, have your card and you want to fulfill, you know, fill that out now and hand that in now, you can, we'll have the Barnett's got it. Thanks, ma'am. You can bring that up. We'll have that there and you can put that in and we'll offer those up. Um, Ask the Lord just to bless those. If you want to bring it back in a future week and just drop it in the offering, prayerfully consider that. That's great. Look, everyone's at a different place. You're in here. Maybe things are tough financially and you can't do much. We understand that. Maybe you're in here and God has blessed you greatly and done some great things in your life and, uh, and you want to give to this and you're able to do that. We are blessed by God to be a blessing. And, uh, and we will always at Mount Hope 
you'll hear us talk about three things for giving. And I will be, and Pastor Brian will be, and anyone on this platform, we will not be ashamed to talk about these three things. Tithing, because the tithe belongs to the Lord. We believe that biblically. We'll talk about that. Giving to Global Outreach, we will unashamedly talk to you about the importance of supporting the propagation of the gospel around the world, no matter how extreme people think it is. We will talk and ask you to give to Global Outreach, and we will ask you to give to Vision. There may be other small things throughout the year that you give to or that the Lord wants you to give to, but these are the three big ones you'll hear from me. Vision, global outreach, and tithing. And I'd encourage you, if you don't have those three things in your budget, even at a small amount, that you put those in your budget somewhere, uh, giving to the Lord and partnering with uh, your church here at Mount Hope. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your goodness and your grace. Thank you, Lord for being able to partner with you in your mission and your vision. God, I thank you this morning for Ron's life. Thank you for changing his life. Thank you for stepping in and doing for him what he realized he could not do for himself and no substance and nothing of this world was going to do it either. You gave him hope, purpose, forgiveness from guilt and shame and the consequences of his sin. God, we want more stories like Ron. We want more testimonies like Ron. We want to be a part of your vision of what you're doing. And so I pray that you'll lead each and every one of us individually and as a church to know how we can be doing that. Lord, and as we commit and consider committing financially, Lord, that's just, that's a part of the world we live in. You have blessed us greatly. God, I pray that you'd speak to the hearts of men and women today of what you would desire to do through us because so often there's things in our lives that we do end up putting before uh, your work and your vision, Lord. And so I just ask that you'd speak to us, speak to our hearts honestly about the things and the resources that you've given us that could be used for you, Lord. And I ask that as we come, as we give, that just like that boy with those few loaves and fish, that you take it and multiply it, that you step in and do what only you can do. Father, we want to be a part of what you are doing here in Burlington, in Belmont, and we believe many other communities around us, Lord, that you're going to open up in the near future. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.